0: This is On Your Radar, a podcast series featuring the expert clinical and medical staff at Rosecrans. I'm John Williams. In this two-part podcast, we are focusing on the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on women and the challenges they face in getting help. Joining us today are Carleen Cardozi, the regional president for Rosecrans, and Brenda Eiliff, the vice president of clinical services at Rosecrans Jackson. Uh, they serve the uh, Iowa area out there. Is that right, Brenda? Welcome to our podcast correct, series. All
1: of Iowa. And
0: Carlene, you visited with us before and in the previous podcast in this two-part series. And in the last one, we talked a little bit about the impact that women feel because of the pandemic, but we didn't talk about the sort of stigma associated with it. Uh, Carlene, would you say, though, that women have a a unique experience? And is there a stigma associated with it that men might not feel?
2: I do think that women have experienced it differently. You know, there is a there is that saying out there that that is not very ladylike. Um, and I think at times we don't we don't think that addiction is very ladylike or we don't think that struggling with a mental health issue is very ladylike. and and that simple comment is full of stigma and shame for women when they're struggling with either of those. Uh, Factors. The other thing is that women are known for being caretakers, but not often do they care for themselves the same way that they care for others. And so during a time like COVID-19, it seems like everybody needed to be cared for, whether that be elderly parents or children or spouses or your job, depending on the situation or your type of work. And women extended themselves and cared for the community, their family, uh, and did not necessarily care for themselves the way that other men or populations uh, might have done the same
0: yeah, well, then that makes this conversation overdue, doesn 't it, Brenda? because we have talked about the impact that the pandemic had on teens and teachers, everybody at school, first responders i mean we 've carved out every group, and yet here we are finally now addressing how the pandemic has uniquely affected women?
1: Absolutely. You know, most of the research out there is done on men and groups of, or or the general population, but women have always struggled with substance abuse. You know, whether it was in the 30s where women were using cocaine, but they were invisible so nobody talked about it or whether it was in the 60s where women were using diet pills or socially drinking, but nobody talked about it. You know, mommy's little helpers or, or whether it's the mom on meth and nobody's talking about it. Women have always struggled with substance use disorders. However, what we're seeing is the COVID pandemic has made um, drinking increase as well as overdoses increase. So we're really exacerbating a problem that was already there.
0: Yeah, I think we said this in the last podcast. We should have been having this conversation before the pandemic. But, Brenda, you would probably agree it's shined a brighter light on that circumstance sure has, that women you know, are we've
1: in. We've seen alcohol use increase significantly. Um, before the pandemic, the NIAAA, which measures alcohol use, they did a study of the last 20 years before the pandemic. And what they found is... Um, that alcohol use per capita, which is all of us, male and female, went up 8%, but for women it went up 10%. And then we entered the pandemic, and we're seeing through John Hopkins' research that um, 60% of women are drinking even more, but the good news is 13% are drinking less. So what's different for those women but we're seeing our alcohol sales significantly increase because of the pandemic. And then as Carlene so well said, Women are isolating more and more because of the pandemic.
0: I'm thinking of a video or a Facebook post I saw, and it was some sort of story. And it was about a woman in her 20s who, with all of her other 20 something, 30 something moms, said, Wait a minute, Let, girls, what are we doing here? We're drinking way too much. This has become too important a piece of our social fabric to get through this. And we laugh about it, but. She's like I'm not going to do this anymore. And I don't remember then if she formed a sort of let's all get together social network that was alcohol free or not, but it it did make her a bit of an outlier. I'll say that.
1: Mhm. There have been some groups where again it's about connection with women, some groups that have said, "You know what? Let's not drink in January." And then some of them have went on and said, "Yeah, I'm I'm just not going to drink. I'm finding my life a lot different." So um, but we at Rosecrans are here for the folks that are saying, I'm finding my life a lot different, too, and I'm struggling.
0: I'm finding my life a lot different, too. That is, I'm not in the not-drinking group. I'm in the drinking exactly. group. Or, as we said, I believe in a previous podcast, or I find that my life isn't as stable as it should be. I'm riddled with anxiety or depression. Now I now I can't cope. And I suppose that's the same problem uh, that women experience like maybe they're stigmatized if they use alcohol too much. Um, is it more difficult for a woman to say, hey, um, I'm struggling mentally here and I need some help?
1: There is definitely a stigma with mental health issues for women, too. You know, I don't want to be quote-unquote crazy or, or feel like I don't have it all together. As Carleen said, women forever have been the central stabilizing factor of their networks whether it's their families, whether it's their work situations. And so when that part of any network falls apart, there's a lot of shame. And then, of course, we have stigma, too. So if I'm too anxious to show up at work, what are people going to say? Also, yeah. as women, we tend to, the research is saying, we tend to work harder at our jobs because we have to prove ourselves, whether that's in an executive function or even a lower function. So if I, if I disappear... Or what will people say? Or if I miss work because of childcare? Or if I... But the other thing women do have that men usually don't have, though, is the trump card with childcare. I can be home drunk and I can say I have a sick child, and nobody's going to challenge that. You know, where a dad with that might be challenged a little bit more.
0: Still, so the I...
1: system in some ways enables it.
0: I I would think that, I would have hoped that we would be further along as a society than this, Carlene, that we would not have put that much pressure on women and asked them to sort of uh, navigate this on their own.
2: Yeah, I would have hoped the same, John, but I think during a pandemic or during a crisis period, we all resist. What we know, um, I know that you know all of us have read off to, on all of these things that are happening during this pandemic, and they equated it back to almost nine eleven. that't happened. there was an increase in mental health, there was an increase in drinking, there was an increase in distru- in uh, disruptions in homes. and they're saying they're actually seeing that same cycle repeat um, with covid nineteen. And so I think when there's not a crisis, I think women, step out of some of the boxes or labels that we're given, and we sort of test the water and push forward. But I think when tragedy strikes, we go back to sort of our status quo, um, and that status quo puts us back in that caregiving mode, Uh, which I think is where, you know, where we continue to struggle with women is really we, we are the caregivers or we are the one, you know, this might sound silly, but I know where to take my daughter for ballet lessons. If I go to treatment, how will she get to ballet? How is my decision going to impact my child? I think that we fool ourselves into thinking that our kids or families or neighbors don't notice that I might be unraveling. But the second that I admit it, then I, ha- then I have to do something. But I-, I can sort of live in my world weird of denial where I step out of my mm-hmm. front porch and I look really put together. Um, I think that's something else that women are dealing with right now.
0: Carlene, do you think we judge women more severely then when they remove themselves from the family dynamic to take care of themselves?
2: I, I absolutely do. I think, you know, we talk a lot about that self-care is not selfish. I think when a woman steps out of a role or chooses to do something for herself, they can be seen as selfish or difficult, a poor mom, not a loving wife, um, when really the time away, whatever that looks like, is going to make them have such a better connection and positive impact on those that they love.
0: Yeah, you know I, Brenda. I'm just listening to the two of you, and I'm thinking. Yeah, the way we would couch it for the guy is the pressure was so great he buckled. But we would say the woman abandoned her family. She's got kids. Why isn't she there for the kids? We don't. We, we don't judge them the same way, do we?
1: Not at all. It's very different to say dad's drunk and mom's on meth.
0: And is is the. Okay, so let's say that's the given for this conversation. What do we do about that? Brenda, what's the next step then for that woman?
1: Some of it is is conversations like this and the importance of providing education for folks on what does it look like and actually normalizing um, things like the anxiety, the depression, which we talk about in the previous broadcast that was done through Rosecrans, that it's normal to feel anxiety and depression, and, and it's also, for a lot of folks, it's normal to want comfort of some sort, whether that's alcohol, whether that's food. I mean, we talk about people moving into almost food addiction during this pandemic, and while we don't treat that at Rosecrans, we can sure be supportive for folks. So providing education through podcasts like this, giving people information um, acknowledging and then supporting ways that people can connect. You know, even employers can be really helpful to provide um, crisis lines. I mean, there's one one silver lining in this pandemic. There's probably more, way more than that, but that's telehealth. That people don't have to go away to get help. They can pick up the phone. They can do Zoom contacts. You know, outpatient treatment works for folks. Uh, they can talk to their... 12-step um, groups are, are Zooming. There's just so many options for folks. But when you're in the middle of, of a crisis of some sort, you feel like you're all alone, and then you hear somebody else say, yeah, I've been there, I've done that, you know. And all of a sudden, the hope starts to spark, that little piece of the hope. So how can we get information out and encourage people to reach out for it?
0: I'm looking at you, Brenda, on a screen. We are Zooming as we record this. Would this be similar to a one-on-one telehealth session? And is that really effective? People open up? They they feel better after that? In
1: fact, some people open up more. We're hearing from some of our clinicians that because, and I don't know what it is, if it's the safety of their own home or they don't have to go out or whatever, some of our clients are opening up more than they did when they were, in a room with a clinician, maybe not the distractions. Others don't open up as well because there's something about that that physical contact for some people. So it's not cookie cutter, just like residential treatments, not cookie cutter for what do people need. But what does that person need? Some of our poor clients, they can't do telehealth. They live in the middle of Iowa. There's no broadband. They can't afford, you know, a smartphone. They don't want to use their government-issued phones. So it really varies on on the person. What? But we at Rosecrans want to be there for. How can we be helpful for
0: you? You know. Also, Carlene, I'm thinking that maybe the challenge for the woman is to because she's the glue and she's trying to be strong and she doesn't want to be labeled as inattentive. But she had this must be one of the first hurdles. She has to turn to her boss or her husband or her partner or whoever it is she's sharing her world with and say, "Um, I'm going to do this. I I need some help. I need either less time at work or more help at home or whatever it is, right?
2: Right. And really, you know, part of it starts with just having an empathetic response and not minimizing that stress, or struggle that that person is going through. You know, we might have the tendency to say it doesn't sound that bad because, you know, in our head we do a lot of comparison. Women are, you know, queens for comparing ourselves against each other. And so it's really important that that we don't do that to each other, that if someone is coming and saying my life is so unmanageable right now that, that we respond and say, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. How can I help? Um, instead of doing another response. And so I think if the one thing that we can continue to talk about is making it a safe place for people to, to talk about the struggle. And safe place doesn't have to be a clinician's office the first time. It can be, you know, as an employer, somebody coming to me and saying, Carlene, I, I have to have Friday off. I cannot do this today. And me understanding where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, that idea of moderation is intriguing to me. I mean, I wonder if that would apply to alcohol as well. Could somebody say, I'm drinking way too much, but I don't want to quit drinking. Is there a path for me that way, or is that kind of a fool's errand?
2: So, you know, there's a lot of theories on substance abuse treatment. Uh, I think you meet them where they're at at first. Uh, You know, I could turn off a lot of people if I said, nope, you're drinking too much. You better stop it right now.
0: That's my point. They're
2: not coming back. Right. If I say that's a great starting spot, what's your plan this week and why don't we follow up next week and see if it works, I have a lot more empathy for the person. I hear where they're coming from. They might be more willing to share what that real struggle is versus me, you know, saying absolutely not, do it this way or no way.
0: What do you think of that, Brenda? Brenda?
1: I totally agree. Not everybody has crossed the line. You know, one of the symptoms of of, um, diagnosing addiction is loss of control and attempts to control and loss of control and attempts to control. So some people who are just saying, you know, this COVID thing has got me and I'm drinking more than I should, more power to them to look at it and talk to somebody about it and make attempts to cut people do it all the time with you know doc says the liver's in bad shape okay so they cut drinking or or nicotine use not everybody has crossed that line
0: i'm just thinking of the old trope too of the guys will gather at a bar after circumstances are tough and that's americana the women don't seem to have that same space or at least we haven't carved that out for them for better or worse but i mean there is that dichotomy right carlene
2: Absolutely. Uh, You know, sports games, bowling leagues, we can list a lot of uh, a good deal at work. You you know, you sold whatever you're supposed to sell or closed the deal, let's go have a drink. That historically is what what you see men doing. But if you saw a group of women out on a Friday night possibly drinking too much, we do jump to conclusions. Um, Whether we like it or not, that's what we do. And so how do we create social circles for women to celebrate, to feel bad, to cry, to connect, to do so many things that women want to do as well.
0: I just want to touch on one other thing and then maybe ask you two ladies what can what do you recommend specifically women do to get help and calling Rosecrans could certainly be one of them but uh, child care must just be a unique complication for this too. And Brenda, I don't know if you want to say something about that generally, but it just seems to me like child care continues to fall more into the lap of women than men. It's it's shared world now, but um, I would say it's probably a burden felt more acutely by women listening to this podcast than men.
1: Generally, because women are the caretakers, generally, um, in their network um, and yes, childhood can be a child care can be a barrier for treatment, um, and it can be as simple as I want to go to my local twelve step group, or I want to go to my local church women's group, or I want to go to my local whatever temple or synagogue or um, group. But I don't have child care. I want to connect, but I can't, I don't have child care, and it can be a real struggle for women. But there's other barriers to treatment too. Um, even looking at safe child care. I want to go, and my parents have said they'd take care of my child, but they abuse me as a child. Think of the anxiety that ups for a woman. So, um, also, if I seek help, there's the fear of the loss of my children. What if people know? Will they take my kids from me? You know, kids add a whole different dimension for people um, seeking help. and um, And yet, we have to also think about those without kids, too. You know, some of those folks are saying, am I worthy of help? I don't have kids. I shouldn't have to take, Hmm. you know. So being inclusive of all populations and and including, you know, uh, diversity and minorities and different family structures and how do people get help? You know, we talked about a culture of um, men, you know, going to the bars, but a lot of young women have made kind of a wine culture, if you will. And so we have play dates. You know, and play dates are going to the local park with wine and your kids, you know. Um, mommy's, mommy's night out is drinking with your kids, you know. So women have kind of create, created their own culture around um, alcohol use, and you see it all over social media you know, um, without as much stigma as it used to be.
0: Um, yeah, uh, that's an interesting point because you're right. Gee, one of the early uh, memes was one glass of wine and then it's a fishbowl-sized glass. ha ha it was very funny and it worked, but I, I guess it's symptomatic of what you're talking about, right, Brenda?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, so what do they do, Carleen? What's the first step? Do I leap to rosecrans? Or do I just talk to my husband? Where do you Where do you start? I,
2: I think you talk with acknowledging internally that that there might be an issue that you're having, whether that be addiction, whether that be depression or anxiety. It's listening to that inner voice that we all have that says, "I need help." And then it's having the courage to step out and get it. Um, You know, everyone is different on how they choose to do that first step. But ultimately, what a woman can do is to be brave and to have courage and to ask for help.
0: What about you, Brenda? How do you answer that?
1: I I would say the same. You know, everybody's breaking point or or inside intuition tells them something different. Sometimes it comes from the outside. Sometimes it comes from the judge, the PO, the, the partner, the, the wife, the husband, whatever the family situation is. Um, sometimes it comes from the parents. Sometimes it just comes from saying, my God, this isn't me, you know. I'm scared, and so who do I reach out to for that? People can Google on the Internet tons of stuff, lots of help out there. But there's something about being in a room and eye-to-eye with people, whether it's through telehealth or not, that can be really helpful.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess, like we often say, acknowledging this is maybe the first step or certainly one of the critical first steps. And I think this podcast has done a nice job of at least articulating what that looks like, what that must feel like for some women different than some men, the stigma that is particularly attached that women have to get over, and, and maybe the additional amount of courage it'll take to take that first step to say, okay, uh, um, I can do this. Um, I don't like what I'm doing now. I'm going to try something different. And even if it's a baby step, huh, Carlene? It doesn't have to be any more than that.
2: Right. You know, it's courage is like a muscle. You have to use it for it to get bigger and stronger. And so If that first step is just a baby step, it's a step in the right direction. And that will give you the courage to keep going on on this journey, you know, of of growth and self-discovery and and making yourself the best version of you that you can be.
0: That's Carleen Cardozi, Regional President for Rosecrans. And also Brenda Iliff has been joining us, the Vice President of Clinical Services at Rosecrans Jackson. Well done, Brenda. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us.
1: You too. Nice to meet you too. Thanks for all you do getting this message out there. If, they're, if they have the courage to listen to this, you know, that's a great little step. It's a great, huge step.
0: Thank you again, ladies. I'm John Williams. For more help, counseling, and information, you can always visit Rosecrans at rosecrans.org. Rosecrans.org. Life's waiting. This is On Your Radar, Women and the Impact of COVID-19, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.